Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Smart Center's REIT Q3 2020 conference call. I would like to introduce Peter Ford. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon. I am Peter Ford, President and CEO, and joining me on the call today are Mitch Goldhart, our Executive Chairman, Peter Sweeney, Chief Financial Officer, and Rudy Gobin, EVP Portfolio Management and Investments. The call will begin with, my, with comments by Mitch and myself followed by Peter Sweeney, who will talk about our results for the quarter end, including IFRS valuations, liquidity, and accounting provisions for bad debts. And then we will take your questions. Our comments will mostly refer to the outlook and mixed-use development initiative sections of our MDNA, which are posted on our website. I refer you specifically to the cautionary language on pages 3 and 4 of the MDNA material, which also applies to comments any of the speakers make this afternoon. Some of what you hear today you may have heard before. Our focus is on operating our existing shopping centers and on creating value through real estate development. This process and the value it creates is not conducive to a quarterly reporting cycle. And while we have a significant amount of development projects underway, each has its own timeline. We are staying on course and on strategy. Within the context of real estate development, this strategy is moving us forward nicely with the rewards starting this past quarter with the smart VMC condo closings. The last six months were unusual for all of us. The spread of the pandemic and the accompanying shutdown impacted every one of us personally and from a business perspective to varying degrees. Our REIT was no different. The pandemic added some challenges in the short term, but our focus remained on our long-term strategy. We were intensely fixated on our initiatives to grow the business through mixed-use development. Short-term challenges required our attention in assisting our tenants and keeping our shopping centers operating effectively to take care of the more than 60% of our tenants which are considered essential services that remained open even at the peak of the shutdowns. These tenants were a priority for us as they were meeting food and other essential needs of communities. Our attention was on assisting our retailers in getting back to opening their stores once the lockdowns were lifted, such that almost 100% of our tenants were open and operating at the end of the quarter. This percentage was down slightly in October as a result of select new shutdowns. All the way through the pandemic, we remained very focused on our longer-term strategy of development. Mitch's vision 30 years ago to build retail centers with Walmart as an anchor involved many detailed steps, just as does today's mixed-use plans, as well as building an operating company around it. The culture of our company is unique in that we are land development people operating shopping centers. We are and always have been comfortable with land, its possibilities, and its path to profit, 
This is our core competency. It is right now and in the foreseeable future that our core competency will differentiate us as we work on the new path, intensifying and repositioning many of our strategically located properties. Another way of saying this, we are a real estate development company that owns many great shopping centers with substantial and reliable recurring income, most of which we developed. But these great shopping centers with their outstanding access on or near highways, transit, visibility, and most importantly, in the midst of growing populations, are just a starting point to the development of higher and better uses, and in most cases, residential. And many investors and some analysts are not yet acknowledging or giving us the proper credit for this development that it is now delivering value and it's here to stay. And with that, I'll pass it over to Mitch. Thanks, Peter. This year, we went on the offensive, accelerating, not decelerating the processes of obtaining zonings and site plan approvals because it is those approvals, approved land use changes, from which value and opportunity is created. This is strategic, utilizing our lasting relationships we have forged over the last 30 plus years with many of the Canadian municipalities, as well as government's general receptiveness to moving intensification forward. And now, this has started to pay off. On page 19 and 20 of our MDNA, there's a list of examples of the very active residential and other development applications that were submitted by our in-house development teams during the COVID shutdown or have been advanced by our team of professionals such that the applications will be submitted in the next one or two months. Look at this. Look at the list of these pages carefully. Look at the list on these pages carefully. These are new initiatives, many very exciting projects, and mostly residential. Significant value creation, not recognized in our IFRS balance sheet values, will result from these. The list on these two pages encompasses an excess of 30 million square feet of additional density, some built on undeveloped lands, some on top of existing retail, and an limited number replacing existing weaker retail, making for a more dynamic, vibrant, and welcoming mixed-use center. And of course, that is not all. For example, Many of the future phases of VMC in our lands in Laval Center in Quebec are not included in that number. The several seniors residents we are working on with our partner Rivera. And as a very recent example, we were issued a minister's order as an MZO for our 72-acre Cambridge retail property, which is on the 401 which will allow for various forms of residential and commercial uses as we redevelop the center over the next 20 years. However, the value 
from this additional 12 million square feet of density on that site and its rights are created on day one. As with many of these redevelopments, the MZO will allow for a growing mix of people living and working with the existing shopping center, creating synergies for tenants and residents. Now let's talk about the new development initiatives already under construction. Over the last several years, we have pointed out to the investment community that it is, our, that it is part of our culture to deliver on what we say we will deliver. This was true for the first two office towers at Smart VMC here in Vaughan, where we, where we delivered exactly what we said. 100% occupied now with strong tenants in a downtown Toronto quality tower and under budget. We have just delivered and opened the 177-unit residential rental tower in Laval, Quebec and the first of our 10 Smart Stop self-storage developments in Leaside in Toronto. And now our third quarter results include the closings of the, of, of the first 766 units in the Smart VMC Transit City 1 and 2, 55-story towers. Our share of the profit can contributing $30 million to FFO for the quarter. By December 31st, we expect, the closing, uh, we expect to close the remaining 344 units in these two towers, generating an additional $20 million in profit, totaling approximately uh, $0.28 cents of FFO for the trust's 25% interest in the project for the year. This will be followed in the spring and summer of next year with the closing of 631 units in Transit City 3, generating a further $20 million in profit. For the three towers combined, we are not only meeting but exceeding our original planned profit by more than $35 million. Other specific project highlights. Two additional towers, Transit City 4 and 5, uh, 1,026 units sold out are under construction. 20% deposits now in place from the purchasers. We are nicely set up for a recurring flow of condominium cash flows and projects. Two, smart VMC, purpose-built residential rental 451-unit building is under construction. Smart VMC, the new 140,000 square foot Walmart store opened on October 22nd, a couple weeks ago, allowing for the closing of the existing store on the strategically located old Walmart store and Smart VMC, on the Smart VMC site and freeing up this very valuable land for residential density. Self-storage. In addition to the two open and operating properties, there are four others under construction. Vaughan, Brampton, Oshawa, and Scarborough, and six others in the process of obtaining municipal approvals, which are generally not controversial. Five, seniors' residents. First, let me clarify, with all the troubling pandemic information that's in the news related to seniors, almost all the tragic news relates to government funding.
funded long-term care facilities, a business we are not in. Instead, with our two partners, we are developing senior departments with extra amenities and limited levels of resident care, all tailored to seniors in new buildings. Six with Rivera, two with Group Selection. All of these all of these projects are in the municipal approval stage. A few general reminders about our development pipeline and capabilities. Most of the development initiatives we are planning are on lands we already own, unlocking value, supplemented by select acquisitions with existing or new strategic partners. We use our in-house development team to drive these initiatives. We know the markets, the municipalities, and every detail about the properties. This team was actively engaged using our technologies to connect seamlessly to the municipalities, which are also set up to operate remotely. This was a natural for us. We have developed for turbulent times before, both as a private company and as a public REIT. As a general reminder across our portfolio of properties, none of the additional land value associated with um, our as-of-right residential density or our proposed density is reflected in our property IFRS values. And when we present development project yields or profits from condo projects, land is included in the cost side of the equation at an estimated market price and all internal fees and capitalized costs are included in costs, which is a more conservative way to present these development yields. After hearing all of this and reading the development initiative section of our MDNA, you can see that the pandemic did not slow us down. To the contrary, we accelerated our transition to a more diversified REIT by moving municipal approvals forward, which, as stated earlier, is where much of the value is created. And we believe our current unit price is not reflecting the value of any of this development potential. And it is very important to note that we will only move forward with the most capital-intensive construction portions of these initiatives as market conditions warrant. Sufficient pre-sales occur in the case of condos, and more than adequate financing is available. And more when, when adequate financing is available. The last development-related comment relates to the disconnect between our unit price and the under construction and planned mixed-use value creation underway, not to mention the strength of our retail portfolio. It is something we have highlighted before, but worth repeating. If our unit price is down, say, 25% from its pre-COVID levels, that would be akin to the markets believing that one quarter of our entire retail portfolio is going to permanently generate no rent or value of any kind whatsoever for now an infinitum. That absurdity, the absurdity of this goes even further and that Valuations ignore the intensification opportunities already underway on our undeveloped lands and the opportunity to create value in place of any such vacancies by replacing the vacant retail with our mixed-use initiatives.
Now I will turn it back to Peter. The financial results for the second and third quarters, and to a lesser extent for the balance of 2020, are being impacted by the pandemic. Our priority during this period of uncertainty is to protect our employees, the communities we serve, our tenants, and our business, while doing everything possible to mitigate the financial implications, ensure liquidity, and continue to strengthen our balance sheet. Our operating shopping center portfolio is 97.4% leased at September 30th and remains focused on essential services and value-oriented retail, not fashion, recreational, or entertainment retail. It is well-suited for these turbulent conditions, as evidenced by the following. 60% based on revenue of the REIT's tenant base is comprised of essential services, which continue to operate throughout the crisis supporting local communities, meeting the everyday needs of residents for groceries, pharmaceuticals, banking, household maintenance, general merchandise, and other essentials. And this 60% of our tenant base being essential services increases to 70% for the markets outside of the greater Vectum area. In these smaller markets, our shopping centers are often the essential service hub of the area and are in all cases anchored by a Walmart store. With the pandemic and the lockdowns, early indicators are that the demand for housing and therefore shopping in these less urban markets is increasing as people consider leaving the urban areas for the suburbs. Good for our shopping centers and the opportunities to intensify on our existing lands in those markets. Walmart, which anchors 75% of our properties and represents over 25% of our rental income, along with our family of value-oriented focused tenants, are well-suited to serving its community during this pandemic, this period of pandemic-induced weaker economic conditions. Walmart Canada plans to spend $3.5 billion over the next five years to make the online and in-store shopping experience simpler, faster, and more convenient. This continued commitment to its retail operations in Canada speaks to the ongoing strength of Walmart and its growing ability to drive traffic to our centers. Much of this capital expenditure by Walmart will be in our centers given that we own approximately 30% of the Walmart stores in Canada. In addition, we are fortunate to have opened three weeks ago in Vaughan as part of this smart VMC store relocation, a new Walmart prototype store, first of its kind in Canada, which includes a 10,000-square-foot e-commerce omni-channel fulfillment center and a drive-through pickup facility. It will fulfill as many as eight times the online orders of an average Walmart store. I encourage all of you to get up here to see our VMC project, including this new Walmart store. Virtually all of our revenues from shopping centers are open-format outdoor centers, enabling customers to practice physical distancing while completing shopping for their everyday needs. Shoppers are much more comfortable and feeling safer in this unenclosed format. We recognize the importance of small independent retailers to the Canadian economy. Our rent release focus to date has been on supporting these non-essential small independent retailers representing approximately 6% of our contracted rent. The federal and provincial governments put in place the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance, or SECRA program, 
designed to assist certain tenants such that effectively the tenant bears 25% of the cost, the landlord 25%, and the government 50%. The program originally applied to April, May, and June. After communicating with all of our smaller tenants, we applied for relief for all tenants that qualified, approximately 700 for those three months. And once the government extended the program for an additional three months, we were pleased and proud to say that we offered the program to 100% of the same tenants. To us, this was an important step in the continuity of business for many of these smaller retailers. We applied and received government funding for all tenants that qualified for the full six months. And now the province of Quebec has just announced the details of its plan to top up the federal program for Quebec-based tenants. That is expected to yield a further $450,000 of recovery for us. The federal program through the landlords ended in September and has been replaced by the Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy Program, which will assist the qualifying tenants directly. In the meantime, some of our non-essential medium and larger tenants have also asked for some rent relief or have just not met their rent obligations. While protecting our legal rights as a landlord, we had discussions with these tenants about rent deferrals or in a few limited cases, rent abatement. We have found ways to accommodate tenants with our real need when appropriate and justified, but also factoring in the reality of our own situa situation and our unit holders. There have been announcements of several tenant restructurings during the COVID period, either through CCAA or bankruptcy filings. Major names such as Moore's, Comark, Sale, Reitman's and Aldo. Collectively, all such tenants have indicated the intention to close 64 units in our shopping centres, approximately 410,000 square feet, which is less than one-third of the total units we have with these same tenants, and represents 1.65% of gross revenues. It is expected that the remaining two-thirds of the units with these same tenants the same retailers will continue to operate once their relevant restructuring process is complete. Generally speaking, these tenants have expressed a strong interest in remaining in our Walmart anchored centers. 145,000 square feet of the 410,000 square feet previously mentioned are two sale units, the Tobacco, just near Sherway Gardens, and Vaughan are 407 redevelopment site on the west side of Highway 400. Discussions with several other retailers for Etobicoke are underway. Property tours have been completed with two significant retailers. And the Vaughan location departure will serve only to alter the sequencing of the residential redevelopment plans already underway for this project. So if you back those out, we are left with 265,000 square feet of vacancy from all these COVID-related bankruptcies, a fairly routine amount for our leasing team who has commenced discussion with many potential tenants encompassing a wide variety of uses. As shown on page two of our MDNA, cash recoveries from our tenants continues to improve. In our April update press release, we indicated cash recoveries for the month of April of 67%. As of now, we have collected 82% of gross billings for that month of April, including SECRA recoveries, an improvement of 
gross billings collected improved from that 82% for April to almost 96% for the month of September. And to avoid any confusion, gross billings used in these calculations are based on rent rolls, excluding the tenants that close through CCAA or bankruptcy process. And now I'll turn it over to Peter Sweeney. Thank you, Peter, and good afternoon, everyone. As we know, these challenging times will test the balance sheets of many real estate companies. However, for many years now, we have encouraged the capital markets and other stakeholders to focus on our commitment to the balance sheet, our unyielding focus on conservative capital management, our discipline in the deployment of capital on acquisitions and developments, and our continued desire to match gearing and similar debt levels to the long-term nature of our assets, this strategic focus on long-term viability and growth will continue to allow us to manage through this period of uncertainty. In this regard, we note the following highlights relative to the third quarter. Number one, our unencumbered pool of assets continues to grow and increased by $200 million to $5.8 billion. Number two, our conservative debt and aggregate assets ratio reduced further to 44.3%. Number three, our weighted average interest rate for all debt continues to decrease and was 3.37% as compared to 3.46% last quarter, which when coupled with our triple B high credit rating permits us to continue to attract debt capital at historically low interest rates for longer terms. Number four, our interest coverage ratio was maintained at 3.8 times and our adjusted debt to adjusted EBITDA multiple improved further to 8.5 times. Both of these metrics reflecting the business's strong and stable ability to fund its obligations even during these uncertain times. And then lastly, number five, our unsecured to secure debt ratio further improved to 67% to 33%. It's interesting to note that just one year ago, this ratio stood at 55% to 45%. And as we have continued to focus on further increasing the proportion of unsecured debt on our balance sheet, and given the continued availability of long-term low interest rate unsecured debt, we intend to continue our strategy of repaying maturing secured debt and replacing these amounts with longer-term unsecured debt, which should result in this ratio continuing to improve for the foreseeable future. From a liquidity perspective, as we look to the immediate future and plan to manage through the current environment, in addition to the conservative debt metrics noted above, please also consider the following. A, at the end of the quarter, our liquidity position exceeded $1.15 billion, which is represented by over $400 million of cash on hand, of our undrawn $500 million operating line of credit, and our $250 million available accordion feature. Accordingly, 
We have ample liquidity when and if needed during this period. B, we have approximately 70 million in mortgages maturing over the next six months and $250 million in unsecured debt that comes due in December. And we intend to use our existing cash to repay both of these maturing amounts. C, we continue to deploy a strategy that permits construction of any large development project to begin when it has appropriate project financing in place to ensure project completion of our various projects and we are presently speaking with lenders concerning construction financing alternatives for several of our proposed developments that are expected to begin later this year, including two retirement home projects, two high-rise rental building projects, and one townhome project. And then lastly, D, we are so proud to confirm that during the third quarter, we experienced the beginnings of the closings of the first two phases of transit city condos. During the quarter, we recognized approximately $30 million of FFO from these closings, and we expect to recognize an additional almost $20 million in FFO in the final quarter of 2020. Similarly, next year, we expect to recognize approximately $20 million in FFO from the closings of the third building in Transit City, and we expect this recurrence of FFO from closings of condominium townhome developments to continue for many years to come. The FFO generated from these closings further fortifies our liquidity position and supports our distribution strategy. As Peter has mentioned, we continue to experience substantive improvements in our collection levels in the third quarter, and our provisions for bad debts was significantly reduced from our experience in the second quarter. In this regard, in addition to $15.5 million in provisions taken in the second quarter, we provided for an additional $9.7 million in COVID-related provisions in the third quarter. These amounts can be viewed in the following distinct categories. Number one, for those SECRA-eligible tenants, we provided $2.1 million representing amounts that we as the landlord are compelled to provide as part of the federal program uh, that Peter referenced to SECRA that ended in September. Number two, for those tenants that were not SECRA eligible, we provided $0.6 million. Number three, for those tenants that have filed under CCAA or similar bankruptcy restructurings, we provided $4.1 million. And then lastly, number four, we recorded additional conservative provisions aggregating $2.9 million for other expected credit losses emanating from the current COVID-19 related business environment. These third quarter provisions represent approximately 65% of those taken in the second quarter and we expect that any provisions required for the fourth quarter will be substantively reduced further. From a valuation perspective, property values stabilized during the third quarter. We did not experience any reductions in value in our income producing or development property portfolios during the quarter with cap rates, discount rates, and other modeling variables remaining status quo. After two quarters of valuation erosion, primarily reflective of additional vacant space and the additional time now expected to backfill such space in the portfolio, 
much of which is the result of the COVID-9 experience. Our third quarter experience is directionally important because it suggests that the market has now begun to stabilize. Based on the discussions that we have had with the appraisal community, we are not expecting any substantive further decline in property values over the balance of the year. It is also important to remember that we have not factored into our IFRS values any values that accrues from the future development of mixed-use space and these future values in increments, as Mitch has noted, that are derived from our proposed mixed-use initiatives are substantial. And finally, a comment on distributions. Our current annual distribution level is $1.85 per unit, and based on our current trading price, this distribution level represents an approximate 7.5% yield on our units, which is approximately 6.75% above the current 10-year Government of Canada risk-free rate of return. This spread is extraordinarily higher than we have experienced or frankly would expect. Decisions on distributions are always made by our board. However, given the liquidity, the strength of our balance sheet, and near-term prospects for cash flow generation from condominium and townhome closings, management continues to recommend the current distribution levels. And with that, I'll now turn it back over to Peter Ford. Okay, thanks, Peter. So to sum it up, a very interesting quarter. $30 million of profit in the quarter from condo closings at Transit City 1 and 2 in Vaughan and expected to generate $50 million of profit in total for this year for our REIT's interest in the project, a rapidly improving rent collection picture, and an accelerated mixed-use intensification and development program. And with that, we'll turn it back to the operator to coordinate us in addressing your questions. Okay, sure. Um, so just to remind everyone to ask a question, please press zero one to queue up. And the uh, first question we have in the queue comes from Brendan Abrams from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Um, just wondering if you could get, you can give some color uh, on the leasing environment right now. Um, you know, when you do have a vacancy or a, or a location goes dark, you know, who are the tenants? Um, you know, looking to add space or, or move into these um, into these locations. You know, would they be from you know ad adjacent uh, shopping centers? Um, you know, what type of tenants are looking to expand? Maybe just some color on the uh, leasing environment. Uh, Rudy, you wanna? Sure. Um, well. Like like we have in the past, uh, Brandon, the 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 portfolio of tenancies we have now are continuing, and the ones that were open and were carrying on business um, continue to expand. So our stable of portfolio tenants um, that we have are asking for expansion space in our other Walmart anchored sites and in our other sites. So. We have a lot of active tenants that would be the typical dollar stores, <clears throat> food stores, liquor stores, uh, pet stores, even QSRs are, are calling us up because they don't have a lot of sit-down space but a lot of takeout. 
Um, so a lot of deals and talking and touring of properties with these tenants. In addition to that, um, we are also marketing and talking to tenants nearby in, of course, the enclosed mall space who have called us up and are asking about, you know, what what can we do in terms of fitting them in? So that is a segment of the market where previously, as you know, we would have fashion tenants who may have said we would like to leave the outdoor space and go into an enclosed mall. Um, that has stopped. That activity has stopped. Um, in addition to that, we are looking at all of the, I'm going to call it service-type uses that serve each of these communities. So that would include industrial uses, uh, that would include labs, medical, um, even, even some of the tutorial services have been calling us up again. So um, while it was very, very quiet in Q2, it started picking back up during Q3. And now for this quarter, going into the fourth quarter, um, there's a lot of discussions about what, uh, what space is available and how people can utilize it best uh, in the portfolio. So um, a lot of activity. Um, it will take a little bit longer to, to backfill these spaces, um, but you know, we're making sure we get the right fit, the right mix, and for each of these communities um, as we go. And some of the spaces will be, we will have to, of course, you know, carve it up into smaller spaces if it's smaller users um, to, make it, to make it work. But uh, the, the, the economics of the deals always seem to make sense because, again, they want to be near um, and in a Walmart-generating uh, traffic center. So, so to turn very positive in this last quarter, and I was improving uh, during third quarter. Okay, that's, uh, yeah, that's good color. And then maybe just sticking on the leasing, uh, perhaps a bit more medium term, uh, taking a look at the lease maturities in Walmart in particular, you know, it looks like about, you know, 8 million square feet or a little bit more than half of Walmart square footage expires between now and 2025. Just wondering if you could remind us, um, you know, how, you know, how uh, much in advance, you know, you discuss uh, with Walmart in terms of uh, releasing space and, you know, what your expectations are for maybe the next few years with them. What, 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 what was that? Just in terms sure. of upcoming Walmart uh, lease maturities, maybe you could just remind us uh, historically or in the past, you know, how far in advance you would, uh, uh, you know, get notice that they are renewing or or not renewing, and I guess what your expectations would be over the next uh, several years where there are significant maturities there. Well, I'll just I'll start off and just say that I mean the relationship is you know got many layers to it, and one of the layers is I mean it's not like you know we wait like you know for their renewal notice. I mean we're we're part of their you know we're generally part of their strategic planning, um, you know. So in, in terms of the country, so we know together we work together to to. Uh, you know, be way, way ahead of those things. So it's not like we're, you know, like a random situation where we're waiting to find out if, you know, tenant X, Y, or Z are sending in a renewal notice. Um, and given the huge investment that they are 
committed to in this country. I mean, you could probably appreciate that that's intended to, among many other things, uh, you know, uh, improve the offering of their of their stores. Um, but I guess, you know, then at some point, technically, there is a renewal. Um, and so how does that go? I mean, I don't know, Peter, do you want to maybe illuminate a little bit on on, on how that how that actually plays out, literally? Yep. They're, I mean, they're under their lease. I think it it varies. They either, it's a six to 12 months notice, depends on which lease it is, that they would officially have to give us. Um, but as Mitch said, it's more a case of the relationship and if that was to ever happen, we'd be having much more of a heads up than that, I suspect. But I can tell you that we're not aware of any um, in that relationship, any discussions that would suggest there's any um, space coming up for renewal that they're not going to. Um, and remember what I said earlier about how much money they're spending um, on their portfolio. And I would say that the rents that they pay us are... Um, because of many of them came out of the the joint venture between Mitch's company and Walmart, um, that the rents are quite cheap, and it's pretty unlikely that they would ever leave. Um, the, you know, the very reasonable and cheap rents that they're paying in many of those locations. But again, I just to say that we're not aware of any issues in terms of, of renewals. Okay, that's uh, very helpful. I'll turn it over. Thanks. All right. Um, next question comes from uh, Tai Woolley. Uh, sorry, Cal Woolley from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Cal. Um, just uh, to follow up quickly on the Walmart leases. Uh, you know, are these expiries? Do they come with like? Are they effectively sort of re renewal options for Walmart, or will you actually have a chance to sort of? Uh, renegotiate up the rent on those renewals? No, they are, they are renewal options. Okay, we got it. Yeah. Um, just on the Cambridge site, um, that is that site, the 12 million square feet of density, that's currently 100% owned by the REIT? Yes, it is. Okay. And do you have intention to bring in partners now, later? Like, how are you thinking about that that process? Um, we we don't know yet. I mean, we've been approached um, by a few capable, you know, developers. So we'll see. There's enough to go around. There'll probably be, I mean, probably will make sense to have some partners in parts of it. But obviously, yeah, I mean, we want to do what's best for the REIT first and foremostly, and obviously considering everything else that's going on, we'll be able to use Cambridge, you know, among other things, to balance out, you know, everything overall, balance sheet-wise. But, yeah, it's a huge project, so probably imagine, you know, there will be a few, you know, parts and phases of that um, of that one with, 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 with partnerships. Okay, and uh, do you have any sense of like what uh, you know density is sort of trading at on a per buildable square foot basis in the market in in that market? I mean, we do, but we're not we're not kind of there yet in terms of being you know sort of able to pinpoint what this is all 
you know, exactly worth. But I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's no question. There's a move to. There's already you know growth and momentum in and of itself in the Tri-City area there. But this obviously is very strategically located, and that's why it was a rezoned. By the way, it is zoned. It's not. It's not to be zoned. It is official. It is the actual law on the property now. Um, but anyway, um, designated. Um, um, yeah, that is law. The um, so yeah, I mean you know it is a great timing-wise, a great uh, property for what's going on um, just in and around the greater sort of Golden Horseshoe. But um, putting a number on it, like you, you could just take the the, the density and put on you know any range of of a value, and you know you'll get a pretty good you know you'll get a pretty big range, but you'll see the order of magnitude. Um, but we haven't put one on. We haven't put one on yet um, there. But it's a good market, so you know it's not. We're not out in. Uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, you know, it's not northern. You know, Manitoba or something. It's. Um, you know, it's super GTA and good timing. Okay, and. Uh- Apart from the, you know, the fact that it's strategically located on the highways, is there any intention to have further transit built in and around there? Because that was obviously a, a big part of the story with the MC too. Well, as you know, I mean, transit, like go um, expansions across the Cold North Shore, prior is a priority of the of the of the province and the various regions. So. I mean, we. I mean, we do anticipate there'll be. This will probably partly, um, potentially, you know, uh, uh, um, precipitate some potential mass transit initiatives to this specific site. But in the meantime, it is literally on the highway. Like you, you can't. You drive by the site, and you're, you're looking at it for. You know, whatever numerous, you know, on the highway, you're looking at it for numerous seconds. It's, it's, um, so you know, it's very easy to get to go transit in the various um, 905 districts um, at the moment, um, and we do have the off ramp, not just like on the highway, but the off ramp coming off the 401 flows like glides right into the middle of this property. And by the way, it's a good shopping center in the meantime. Um, you know, it's it's, uh, it's just huge. And, um, you know, so over time, it's ideal to to, uh, to phase this mixed use in. It's not, uh, yeah, so a few extra features. But no, I don't know of specific mass transit uh, imminently being um, uh, built to be built right to our doorstep, but you know, these things are changing right now rapidly in the GTA. Okay. Um, and then, uh, Peter, you had mentioned, you know, subsequent condo closings, so we'll have Transit City 3 closing in 2021. Uh, what would be the next of the condo or for sale projects expected to close after that? Likely the Vaughan Northwest townhome project. Uh, we'll have closings in 22. Um, the, the sale, those uh, townhouses are expected to be so a sales program start in February uh, of, the, of this upcoming February, 
and construction starts shortly thereafter, and so closings in 22, and then Transit City 4 and 5 uh, the year after that. So, um, okay. That's perfect. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Appreciate it. All right. Um, we don't have any uh, other questions in the queue at this point, but just to remind everyone, if you want to ask a question, please press zero one. All right. So um, we have a few um, people queuing up. Next question comes from Jenny Ma from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, your phone may be on mute, uh, on mute uh, Jenny. Thanks for that. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, this question is probably for uh, for Peter Sweeney, but uh, wanted to ask, what is the the line item that is the sales tax related to Secret? Looks like it was about one and a half million dollars every quarter for the past couple of quarters. All that is, Jenny, is it's the HST that uh, is. Uh, would have been in the top line, would have been included in the top line there as a receivable balance and a, uh, an amount that was charged pursuant to the rent roll um, that would be coming back uh, given the existence of both SECRA and the REIT's 25% share that uh, the REIT had to, in this case, uh, forgive. That's all that is. Okay. Um, and then it looks like there was some, some previously capitalized GNA uh, taken in this quarter that was coming from TC1 and 2. Just wondering yeah. if uh, that was all charged in Q3 related to these projects because of the closing starting or if they're going to be prorated into Q4 as well. Uh, it actually, I mean, that, uh, Jenny, I'm going to, I mean, maybe make a comment on what I would call sort of odd accounting. That 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 GNA was actually capitalized. That relates to periods prior to now, um, and it's it's costs that really I think of as project costs. But I guess under the under accounting rules, um, we show it that way. Um, and so there will be some more in the fourth quarter related to the the units that are closing in the fourth quarter of the same of the same nature. Okay, but it's actually it's actually GNA from a prior. From a prior uh, quarter that was for a prior year, actually, that was would have been capitalized. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I got that part. I was just wondering if it's being recognized sort of all at once, um, sort of as an event in Q3 because of closing commencement, or if it gets spread out proportionally. Oh, no, there'll be closing. there'll be an equivalent amount, you know, uh, in the fourth quarter as well, and that okay. and that's deduct and that's sort of factored into when we talk about we're going to have twenty million dollars worth of profit in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know that would be netted off when and arriving at that number. Right, right. So that would be something that basically accompanies any future condo closings as well, just as an accounting accounting yep. item, I guess. Yes. Okay, great. Yep. Okay, that is all for me. Thank you. All right. Uh, next, we have a question from Sam Damiani from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks very much, and good afternoon, everyone. First off, just wanted to touch on on occupancy, uh, Rudy. It was very encouraging to hear your commentary. Um, so, and I think in the last quarterly call, we were given guidance for between 100 to 150 basis points of uh, occupancy decline in the latter half of the year. And I guess in Q3, there was there was 80 basis points, including uh, transfers of vacant properties into development. 
would you say that you know for Q4 you'll you'll probably be toward the better end of that range as opposed to another sort of 70 basis points of decline in Q4? Yeah, um better 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 meaning lower lower yes. uh vacancy. Yeah. The you know the activity we've seen um in the end of the quarter like in the month of September and certainly in October in this quarter now we're in, we're already into halfway through um it would it would lead us to to believe exactly that Sam that um you know there's a lot of tenants wanting to do uh wanting to uh the space now it may be that we would end up executing the deals they may not be in place for christmas shopping obviously because there's a lot of fit out and work to do to get tenants act uh, operational but um but in terms of commitments I would say so, yes, that uh, with committed deals that we should be um, on the lower end of that range. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. And percentage rent from the outlets, you know, that's been that's been the headwind for the last couple of quarters. Is there an anticipation of that substantially rebounding in the short term? No, I guess I'll, I'll comment that I, we're not sure. I, I guess things, our traffic is certainly picking up every month at the outlet centers, both Montreal and here. And so we would expect in the fourth quarter that percentage rent uh, would would pick up, but we don't know. Things are okay. things are crowded. Sales have picked up for sure in the third quarter. Uh, um, but we don't I don't have any read on that yet for the fourth quarter. Uh, are we ready? No, no. And, they, you know, they report, um, Simon, that is, because they manage the properties, they report sort of a month later and as you know a a large part of their sh- of the shopping is in the last 2 to 3 months of the year for the christmas holidays traffic is significantly up uh for the people that are going there they're saying that there is a lot of traffic in the centers but we we can't uh, we don't have a handle on sales yet when it when it when they were when they reopened after the uh april may june um there was a lot of activity in the centers and people were saying that their sales we're almost back to, to uh, pre-pandemic, and that might have been just a rush out to do a lot of uh, uh, shopping before people thought kids were going to go back to school and so on. But now with all the schooling uh, being split a little bit home and at school, um, it's leveled off. And now with the Christmas season, the Thanksgiving shopping was really good. Um, we won't have a good handle on that until you know December for the month of November. Um, but but traffic is high and um, and 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 it will only be limited by what the government mandates in terms of uh, you know social distancing. Okay, thank you. And my last question is on Cambridge. Uh, that was a uh, a significant achievement uh, received there with a with the MZO. Um, how soon would the first phase of that be under construction? And secondly, when we think of Cambridge. Um, I, I don't think, apart from maybe one or two buildings, you know, too much existing stock is above the five-story level. Um, you know, what gives you the visibility for the demand for for that kind of living in that location? And I guess are there other uh, similar zonings coming or already in place for competing properties nearby? Well, first of all, we could have had this conversation a few years ago about Vaughan. Um, about the height end, by the way, it's not just around the subway. I mean, uh, you know, you can go to Rutherford and obviously you can go to 
all kinds of parts of Vaughan, even, you know, the center and Bathurst. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, these are, this is the way things go. I mean, change. Um, there's great opportunities in these type of markets. Um, you'll see us um, taking the initiative in, in markets like Cambridge. But how high, you know, will we go? I mean, we'll, we'll sort of figure it out. But, you know, it'll be higher than, than what you what you were referring to. Um, and, uh, I mean, these kind of changes do beget other changes. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if there's anyone next. I know next door they've converted uh, land. They've rezoned land from um, non-res to res, and they're doing townhouses. Our first phase, I mean, hopefully we'll start sometime in the next uh, year there. Um, you know, plus or minus, I mean, the margin of error of getting started is pretty high in development just because there's all these servicing and things related to that, but, but plus or minus. Um, so that's very near term. We'll probably start with some lower stuff initially. Um, maybe even some townhouses, actually. And we'll always sprinkle these types of developments with different forms. Um, you'll see us, I don't know, we've talked about Alliston, you know, between things in Alliston and London and um, markets that are a little bit, you know, like, you know, uh, have been overlooked, and, but there's demand, there's reasons why there's things going on there. Cambridge has got more, you know, adrenaline than than those two, uh, but uh, for all kinds of reasons. But uh, but even the likes of those markets have a lot of potential. You know what we're doing in Barrie as well. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes, but you know somebody's got to initiate the changes. And uh, in some of these cases, you know it will be us. But um, you know the way it goes. I mean, the market's not there. We're not going to do it. In the meantime, you know we've got a rent, we've got a sustainable rent collecting shopping center. In the meantime. That's great. Congratulations again on it, and I'll turn it back. All right. Um, and we don't uh, seem to have any other questions. Uh, in, well, yes, we do, actually. Um, we have Dean uh, Wilkinson from um, CIBC World Markets, who just queued up. Go ahead. Uh, thanks. Um, just on, on the rather large amount of money that Walmart is, is spending across their, their store network. Are, one, are they doing that work independent of you, and have they asked for any capital contributions towards uh, any of that that would sort of come back in form of rent or anything like that? They're, they're doing it independent of us, meaning, but we're obviously involved. We're, we know about it, hmm. uh, being the own, owner of the shopping center and the store. But they are, they are doing their own work inside their store. We do end up doing some things outside in terms of we just coordinate other work we might be doing in the shopping center in any event, like parking lot and restriping and paving if necessary. But and and so the and then the answer is no, they have not asked us to contribute at all to to what they're doing. Okay, great. And uh, just turning on to the balance sheet, you've got um, still still carrying that elevated level of cash. How I mean, is, is it as simple as you know, we're post-pandemic? Someone's come up with a magic cure via Pfizer, whoever, that you start looking at utilizing that 
sort of 425 million or, or, or do you want to keep that on there and earmark it for uh, development capital? It's a good question, Dean. Uh, I think I mentioned we've got some debentures maturing in December that will require $250 million of that 400 plus million that's on the balance sheet. So that will put a large dent into that cash balance. In addition, over the next six months, I think we've got, I uh, mentioned, 70 or so million dollars of mortgages that are maturing that we would intend to repay in full. And again, we would intend to use that cash for those purposes. I think the other question, you know, that you might ask is, you know, how do we see the future? And the reality is we don't it's almost impossible to predict with any level of precision or, or extreme um, uh, visibility. And so similar to what we did back in early June where we were uncertain as to what the future might hold given you know the pandemic and everything associated with it, and certainly given how the first three or so months of the pandemic period had gone, um, our board strongly encouraged us to you know play it safe and go into the market to raise capital in advance of those liquidity requirements coming down the pipe. And so, you know, we've got sufficient, as we know, sufficient liquidity currently, but we do have uh, a large series of debentures maturing in June of next year for $350 million. Um, I mentioned, you mentioned capital for development. We, we are trying to ensure that before we commence any development initiative of at least of consequence that we do have a specific project financing facility in place to accommodate the needs of those respective uh, projects. And so, you know, they will be funded by traditional project financing. Um, but again, we're still continuing to play it safe. And, and yet it is perhaps uh, somewhat dilutive, at least temporarily, to unit holders. Uh, but again, it, it ensures that we're not exposed in the event that the market's were to close as frankly they did in the early part of this pandemic period. So um, that I think would be our, our uh, preferred strategy, at least in the more immediate future. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, belt and suspenders is probably still the order of the day. And I, I suppose to the extent that, you know, it's going to be cash out debt off, uh, you know, mathematically the leverage looks the same, but your coverage ratios should improve uh, significantly. Yep. Um, yep. Okay, that's it. Um, I'm probably the last question, so thanks, guys. Thanks, Dean. All right. Um, yes, Dean was correct. He was the last question in the queue at this time. Okay. Well, in that case, we'll just say uh, thank you all for taking the time to participate in our third quarter 2020 call, and please stay safe, everyone. Good afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the Smart Center's REIT Q3 2020 conference call. Thank you for your participation and have a nice day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.